0: Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. So interesting at this time of the year. Welcome, welcome. It is Thursday afternoon, Fresh Thinking time. And we there's like one topic that everybody is talking about. Just simply one topic. Wherever you go. Whoever you speak to, it's on everybody's minds, and that is the coronavirus. It's inescapable. I mean, it's literally on our doorstep. We're you know, we all concerned. So this is not a medical show. And whatever you are told by the medical professionals, that's what you have to do. That's the halachic requirement to follow the guidelines of the medical professionals. That's not the purpose of today's show. Uh, if anything, it's just to reiterate. That we have to follow whatever it is that we're told from a medical perspective. Having said that, it's not our job either to rumor, manga, and so on. I'd like to rather have the conversation about what, what do you think all of this means spiritually? Because as Jewish people, we don't look at the world just simply in terms of what's happening in front of our faces. We delve and we explore and we question. And we always want to know. What is the deeper meaning? Like the Talmud says, that there's not a blade of grass on this earth that grows without an angel that is directly involved in ensuring its growth. That means there's not a virus on this earth that grows unless there's some kind of a spiritual source that prompts it into existence. And that's what I'd like to just chat about a little bit today. We can speak about this for a very long time. Let me tell you, I've been speaking about it all week. And it's just the subject. It's broader and broader and broader. But if you do have a particular insight and you feel that there's a spiritual message that we could learn from the coronavirus I would be very interested to hear what you have to say. You can call in on the studio, 0101403020. But, of course, we know that people much prefer to text, so send your messages via Telegram on 0618951019. You can SMS 34519, or you could tweet at FM. You can tweet me directly as well at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, with everybody talking about Corona, I thought we should be looking at it from a spiritual perspective. It was interesting to me that this week we had the holiday of Purim, and just before Purim we had the fast of Esther. Now, if you go back and you read in the Rambam, Maimonides, when he speaks about the fast of Esther... Well, He speaks about fasting I should say He says that there's a reason why Jewish people fast When we commemorate various things That have happened in our history And we also fast when there is some kind of a threat To human life He says the reason we fast is Because if a person should for one moment Believe that things happen in life As he uses the expression mikra nikre, That it's just by chance That something coincidental happened says then you breed a cruel society It's cruel because it believes that People are then powerless You can't control this thing. And I think that that's what's on a lot of our minds. seems that things have spiraled completely out of control, not only in terms of the disease, because people will tell you, look, the infection rate is not that high yet, and the fatality rate is, really, is, is quite low, but it still impacts our lives in an incredible way. You look at things like travel, and you look at what's happening to the markets It's really fascinating and scary all at the same time. So it's important for us to think about this point. The Rambam says when something big happens, when something catastrophic happens, it would be cruelty to suggest that we are just the victims in the clutches of some kind of big major event and not recognize that we have the opportunity to influence that event. And that's not only by taking the steps of personal hygiene and making sure that we don't spread any type of contamination, but equally because we're supposed to do our spiritual part in order to contribute. That's why we fast. So the fasting is a way of saying this is a time for connection. It's a time for prayer. If there's something that frightens us to the core of our being, the way that we should respond to it should be with increased spiritual Investment. So I think that should be a guiding principle for us, particularly considering that the, the COVID-19 has become such a big deal in the same week as Purim, or at least for us here in South Africa. It's pause for reflection on this principle that says we have power, we have an involvement, we have a connection, we have a relationship with God. There's something that we could and therefore should be doing about it. Um, there was a joke during the rounds and you may very well have heard of it, heard it that says, you know, uh, Moshiach is going to come on a donkey. That's the prophecy that Moshiach will come on a donkey. So the joke that's going around is because the flights from Israel are grounded. So that just reminded me of something else that I uh, actually thought about this morning. Somebody posted it, got me thinking. There's a story that the Talmud tells about Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi was a very interesting character in the early, well, in the Talmudic period. And he had this occasion where he spoke to Elijah, the prophet Elijah who at that stage was no longer living. Elijah the prophet, as we know, him, appears in all kinds of places throughout the course of history. The one man who went to heaven alive, and so he has this ability to just manifest. So Rabbi Yehoshua Ben-Levi speaks to Elijah, and he says to him, When is Moshiach going to come? So Elijah says to him, When's Mashiach going to come? Why don't you ask him yourself? So Rabbi Yehoshua Ben-Levi says, I would ask him myself. I have just absolutely no idea where to find him. So Elijah says to him, you should go to the gates of the great city, which the commentaries understand to mean the city of Rome. You should go to the gates of the city, and that's where you will find him. So Rabbi Yosemite Levi says, how will I identify him? I mean, there must be many people in the environment of the great city of Rome. So he says, yes, what you'll do is you'll notice that there are a whole lot of people, lepers. Now, let's just pause for a second. Lepers! You understand what this is? The whole lot of lepers who sit outside the gate of Rome and... He sits among them. He's a poor man and he's a leper amongst lepers. So Rabbi Yeshiva Nebi says, okay, and out of all of the lepers, how will I know which one is him? And Elijah says, you will see that all of them have to change the dressings on their wounds. And all of them change their dressings by removing all of the dressings and treating all of the wounds and then replacing all of the dressings. Whereas this individual who is Mashiach will replace one dressing at a time because he's always on call. And at any moment, he should be ready to get up and to go and to take the Jews and the world out of this state of exile that we find ourselves in. So what happens next in the story Is very interesting Rabbi he goes And he meets Moshiach And he says to him When you're coming And he answers him I'm coming today And then of course it doesn't happen He goes back to Elijah He says Moshiach lied to me And Elijah says Now what he meant is The day that everybody listens to God That's the day I'm going to come But I think what's fascinating About the story Just if you put it into An in, in immediate context the leper of old Is the quarantine of today That's that's what it was so people The halacha was That if a person had this this Torah If they had leprosy They actually had to announce themselves Funnily enough For those of us who read Who learn that the uh, day Daily Cycle of the Rambam, which is the 14 volumes of Jewish law. We've just read these laws just a few days ago that a person who is in a position that they could contaminate other people actually is required halakhically to announce it, that you are required to inform other people that you have this contagion. So these lepers were people who were in quarantine, and I think it's really fascinating that they should be outside the city of Rome. Put that into a current events context, so isn't that interesting? Maybe that's where Moshiach is right now, right? Sitting on the border outside of Rome, waiting to be able to come in quarantine because of Corona. So what can we learn from this thing? That's what we should be talking about now. What could we learn about it? It reminded also of a different story that the Talmud tells in a different section of the Talmud. The Talmud relates the story of the barbaric Titus. Titus was the commander in chief of the Roman army at the time that they attacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and then subsequently became the Caesar, the empire, the emperor of Rome. Now Titus was a, was really a horrible man. There was nothing nice about him. He was cruel. He was bloodthirsty. He had an incredible sense of ego. And when Titus went into the Holy of Holies and this was the final act in the destruction of the temple after having laid siege to Jerusalem and eventually conquering Jerusalem. Now he's in the Holy of Holies. This is the place. This is like the ultimate slap in the face to the Jewish people. At that period in time, the Holy of Holies had this big, thick curtain that hung at its entrance. And I don't know what possessed the guy, but Titus took out a dagger and he stabbed the curtain. Now you have to imagine the pagan mind of the Roman. He probably believed that this was some kind of an affront to the Jewish God. So he stabbed at the curtain, and the Talmud says that Hashem made a miracle, and the curtain began to bleed. And at that moment, Titus made this proclamation. He says, I have killed the Jewish God. I've killed God. Can you imagine this A guy who believed that he had killed God with a dagger into a curtain? He then took that curtain, gathered up some of the very expensive golden items of the temple, wrapped them in this massive curtain, and had them transported back to Rome. And he headed back to Rome himself. And, of course, the way that you traveled in those days was on those flimsy little things that they used to call the Roman galleys, right? What you and I today wouldn't go on a lake on one of those boats. And he gets onto the boat, and there's this massive storm. And as the massive storm breaks... Titus realizes maybe he hasn't killed the Jewish God. And maybe the Jewish God is coming after him. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So if you do have a thought about the spiritual lesson that we could possibly learn from Corona, I'm sure there are many. Share it with us by Telegram on 0618951019 or SMS 34519 or tweet at FM at rabbi shish so i was telling you the story about titus and how in his megalomaniacal mind he thinks he's killed god because he stabs this curtain in front of the holy of holies and blood seeps out of it but then he gets onto his boat to go back home to rome and there's this incredible storm and titus turns around of course now realizing that he has not killed the jewish god and he totally changes his tune and he says ah i know how the jewish god operates he kills with water that is what he did to the generation of the flood at the time of Noah. That is what he did to the Egyptians at the time of the Exodus. Drowned them in the sea. That is what he did to the great king Sisera or leader Sisera. When he came to war against the prophetess devora he drowned his armies in the water. That's what he's going to do to me. He only has one weapon and that is the weapon of water. So a heavenly voice, the Gemara says, comes out, whatever that means, a heavenly voice. It's kind of just an awareness, I suppose, that Titus suddenly has, where Hashem tells him, you're right, you believe that I only have power with water. I will show you that not only will I not use water to destroy you, but in fact what I will use is one of my tiniest creatures, something that is so innocuous, and it will bring you down. So the storm subsides, Titus gets back home, becomes emperor, and as soon as he steps onto dry land, a tiny little gnat flies up his nostril and starts to eat its way up the nasal passages and eventually eats its way into his brain. And he goes through this incredibly painful experience of this constant hammering sensation inside his brain. And there's nothing that he could do to stop it until one day, quite almost by accident, he passes a smith. And as the guy's pounding away on his anvil over there, this Gnat stops hammering inside his brain, and he has this temporary respite. And he starts hiring people to come and to bang on an on an anvil in his palace. You know, just eventually, of course, the gnat gets used to it and keeps on going, and that's what kills him. This tiny little gnat, nearly invisible gnat. Now you're talking about Titus who believed that he was the most powerful human being alive at the time. He was the king of the Roman emperor. That was this mighty extensive emperor who had brought so much to the world. The Talmud on two different occasions speaks about the contribution of the Romans to the world. Or at least their view of their own contribution. About the wonderful things that they claimed to have done. Building aqueducts and marketplaces and the massive Roman bathhouses and paving roads. And their great Colosseum. And whatever it was that they had developed, the Roman circuses. And they thought that they had brought this incredible power and, and greatness to the world. Effectively, you could say the infrastructure and technology of the time. And on one occasion, it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the famous mystic, who we celebrate at Lag Boomer, who turns around and says, they are totally misguided. They did all of these things for themselves. There was absolutely no real interest in helping the world. It was just about putting themselves on the map. And on another occasion, the Talmud says that there will be an, an event in the future Where the nations of the world will come to God and they'll say, what about us? We also deserve to be rewarded for the great, wonderful things that we've done. And God will go through these mighty nations and say, well, tell me what you've done. And the Romans will say, we made the bathhouses, we made the marketplaces, and we built infrastructure, we built bridges. And God will say to them, yes, you did. And all of that was for your own Totally promiscuous, misguided behavior, and these are the circuses of Rome to have the entertainment of humans killing each other, or the, um, the marketplaces which became the cesspool of promiscuity, not to mention, of course, the bathhouses. So you, you tell us how you've made the world such a wonderful place, but in effect, you actually did it all for yourself somewhat reminiscent of the story of the Tower of Babel. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel? It was a magnificent moment in history. Everybody coming together with a singular purpose. We're going to build this mega city. It's going to reach a skyscraper all the way to the sky. And God said, forget about it. It's never happening. Not on my watch. What was so offensive about it is they said, we want to make a name for ourselves. There are certain commentaries like the Malbim, for example, who said that it wasn't a tower per se. It was a very advanced technology that they wanted to use to launch themselves into the heavens Think space travel Think rocket So whatever it is That they looked to do They used the argument That we're working For the well-being of people And bringing humanity together And the advancement of society And technological movement And progress Actually what they were doing Is as the verse says shame." Let's make a name for ourselves That was their interest Make a name for ourselves And Hashem says I'm going to rip that down It's not, it's not gonna happen. Gonna rip it down. So in the case of Titus, it's not even as dramatic as the story of the Tower of Babel Where God just infected the thinking of people And they, they simply couldn't get along anymore And they couldn't speak the same language And they could no longer collaborate And everybody went their separate ways I suppose you could call that a form of quarantine also And the whole project fell to pieces And people started to attack each other But in the case of, of Titus It's like, I'm going to send you something tiny That you believe you could just squash with with one finger And that's going to take you out And it sort of feels like that a little bit You know, we've reached a point in society where, thanks to the technological advancement, we've become a little bit smug. We, we've got this. We, we know how to do things. We can project how the markets are going to behave in the long term, and we can tell you how you should invest your money accordingly, and we know that we can get anywhere in the world in just a matter of hours by hopping onto a plane, and you can travel, and it's no problem, and, and so therefore, even things like immigration are not as bad as they used to be because you can go visit your family for a simcha without hesitation, or if you've got a do business in another part of the world what's the big deal and we need not worry about any major medical issues because thank god we've eradicated the great diseases of old thanks to vaccination and medical treatment and we've become a little bit smug almost in a sense almost as if to say i would hate to say that we've taken the attitude when i say we i mean popular the population at large but it's almost like an attitude which says we've killed god you know not we've killed god as if we don't believe he exists god we've got this We've, we've killed. It. We don't. We don't need you. We're, we're, we're okay. If something dramatic happens. We'll need you. But pretty much, we're okay. We, you know, we, we've advanced to such an incredible place, and and we're advancing even further. And we're going to have AI, and we're going to have integration of the tech and humans, and we're going to cure all kinds of diseases, including aging, so we'll live forever. Or who knows what. Become a little bit smug and it's almost as if Hashem says, I'm gonna send you something that's much smaller than you ever imagined, might have appeared to be quite innocuous at first, and it's gonna stop all of your things. And this is what's fascinating to me about it. What's fascinating about this is, yes, we're not in any way, God forbid, minimizing the danger physically of a virus, particularly this virus, which is spreading almost unchecked, although now you could say the whole world is clamping down. But what's fascinating about it is the impact, 126,000 odd people have been infected with the coronavirus, but how many millions of people have been impacted by the markets, by the restrictions on travel uh, By the inability to go and visit family I you know people A number of people this week Have told me how they've cancelled Simchas abroad Because you can't travel So the impact is massive It's like our whole infrastructure That we've prided ourselves in Just seems to be crumbling in front of us Somebody was saying to me today How they, they're so anxious about this How can we be living in a world That seems to be falling apart Suddenly the whole airline, hotel, Uber Industries under threat Restaurant industries under threat The Chinese manufacturing 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 sector, which they say China today is 17% of the world GDP or something to that effect. So the the, the knock-on impact, the the oil price, it's just people are are frozen. We never saw this coming. If you had asked anybody towards the end of last year, they would have told you that the the common thinking is the greatest existential threat to the the human race is climate change. And so we've got years still before we can fix this thing, or maybe we can't, but the effects will only, only be in years. And suddenly, boom, like that, something tiny, innocuous. Corona, it's been around, it's just a mutation of the virus. And like that, the whole world screeches to a halt. It's like a Titus moment almost. Almost. And there's a lot more, I think, that we have to think about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you've got any you'd like to share, you can send a message on Telegram 0618951019. You can SMS 34519 or tweet at HiFM. FM. Chem has another customer benefit just for you, and that is Total fuel rewards simply swipe your Discount benefit card when you're paying for your fuel at total and you earn 10 benefit points for every liter of fuel that you buy fuel up a total earn and spend at discam benefit points at total are only from discam pharmacists who care so we're talking about corona because that's what everybody's talking about seems like that in itself is the virus right the obsession with uh, corona and and for good reason because it's very frightening and it's on our doorstep and we know people and it's probably fair to say that everybody will end up knowing somebody who will be inf- uh, affected by it I mean, it's got to be uh, not necessarily only infected but certainly affected i'm sure you know somebody who had to cancel a trip somebody who was invested in a particular um sector, a person maybe who was waiting for stock to arrive from China, everybody's going to know somebody who was affected, so it's very much on our minds, and I think it's really important for us to get our heads right and try and understand how, as Jewish people, we are supposed to think about it, because there's the Titus thinking, the so-called Roman Empire thinking, the so-called antithetical to Jewish thinking, which is, we need to be in control, we're going to build things and we're going to control them, and we're going to be the masters of our own destiny, and then there's Jewish thinking that says, that's actually not how it works. The concept of what we call as the verse goes, my power and the product of my hand is the cause of my success. That is antithetical to Judaism. They say in a relationship, in any relationship, there are obviously two partners in the relationship and each one of those partners is responsible for 50% of the relationship. And it's critically, it's critical to know That you are only responsible of 50%. You are not responsible for the other person's side of the relationship. And you are 100% responsible for your side of the relationship. And if that's true of the relationship between husband and wife or between two friends, it's definitely true in the relationship between us and God. We are responsible for 50% of our relationship. He is responsible for 50%. I recently heard a very intriguing story, but the point of the story was, I'm not going to tell you the story now, but the point of the story was that Hashem devises things in our lives to give us the opportunity to do what we need to do in that situation. We don't get to choose the outcome. We actually had this happen to us just the other day on Purim. We had a massive event planned. It was supposed to start at 3. Well, it did. It started at 3 p.m. on Tuesday. I checked the load shedding schedule on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, and we were not scheduled for load shedding. So I felt quite comfortable with the fact that we had rides that relied on electricity, and we had candy floss and slush that relied on electricity, and we had a sound system that relied on electricity, and then... Twenty-five minutes before the event was supposed to start, one of our CSO guys came over to me and said, I don't know if you've heard, but ESCOM has just escalated load shedding to stage four. Stage four means that we were going off at 4 p.m. That gives us one hour of the event, one out of three hours of the event that we would be actually be able to run the rides and some of the snacks. Now, thankfully, Baruch Hashem, we had other things that people could do that were not reliant on electricity, and it was daylight, so we didn't have that problem, and the food was all running on gas or braai. Okay, but still, as an organizer of an event, you get a massive tremor when something like that happens. Here we are, 25 minutes to go, and the power is going to go off an hour into the event. And I just had this momentary panic, and then I said, No, this is the in." Im- correct way to to think we are jewish people we are trained that hashem runs the world we have to remind ourselves consistently that hashem runs the world he is 100 percent responsible for that half of the relationship i am 100 percent responsible for my half of the relationship which requires two things number one i had to do everything in my power to make sure that that was a good event I had to go and make sure it was organized, that the offering was appropriate, that there would be enough food, that it would run smoothly. That's my responsibility. I have absolutely zero responsibility to decide whether or not the grid is going to be stable in time for That event. Yes, my responsibility might have been to have inverters or generators, whatever the case might be. My responsibility is not to decide if the weather's gonna hold up. My responsibility is not to decide if people are actually gonna come. I can only do my best. Get the message out. Market. Cajole people. Invite people. That's all I can do. I'm 100% responsible for my 50% of the relationship. But part of my 50% also includes trusting that God runs the world and that he will do things in the best way for me. And that was the mantra that I was playing in my head for those 25 minutes. Hashem runs the world. It's in his hands. I have done what I needed to do and he has my best interests at heart. And then of course people started to arrive and I gave them the disclaimer, listen, it is possible that the rides will go off in an hour so maybe you should go into the rides now first then you'll do the other carnival activities afterwards and don't worry, we have a nice big show coming so that will occupy you. And four o'clock came and went and maybe maybe around about 4.30 somebody arrived from a different area and said, oh, we have load shedding. It started at four o'clock so they verified that the load shedding had gone ahead as planned. But for some Very intriguing reason. I don't know the reason. Our power only went off at 5.28pm. 5.28pm. As I finished reading the Megillah, the power went off. By that stage, people had had their fun, been on the rides. The event was supposed to run for three hours. We were two and a half hours in. People hung around afterwards. They were satisfied. It hadn't derailed anything. I took responsibility for my 50%, and I'm telling you it wasn't easy, and I'm not always so good at it. I don't know. Something inspired me to be good at it on this particular occasion. And Hashem took care of his side of the deal, and it worked out. It's much, much more tricky when you're dealing with a global pandemic than when you're dealing with the lights being on or off for a few hours at home, even if you have 300 people you're worried about. Global pandemic is just a little bit more scary, but the principles remain the same. The principles are we are 100% responsible for being responsible people. So I don't go to a place where there might be the potential of Contamination, And I wash my hands well, as everybody's advised, 20 seconds, soap and water, consistently through the day. And if I know somebody's not well, if I'm not, no, not, if I'm not feeling well, stay back. Avoid people. I'm 100% responsible for that. I'm 100% responsible also to get my head right. 100% responsible. And to get my head right as a Jewish person means to get clear in my head that Hashem does run the world and that he has our best interests at heart, and that it is possible for Hashem to allow a global pandemic to rage across the whole world and still not have a massive mortality rate. That is possible. And, you know, I I suppose people will say, you don't know that. Of course you don't. You don't know the the converse either. You don't know that there's going to be millions of casualties. You don't know. Why do we always, for some reason, tend towards the worst case scenarios? tend to always spread the worst news possible. We, we, we just need balance. I'm not even saying we need to be idealistic, just balance. But I think part of that balance is that we have to learn how to look at the world through Jewish eyes, through Torah eyes. And I'd like to share something, that, just a thought that crossed my mind, which I think turns this thing completely on its head. And if we can keep our focus... It will, it will certainly help us tremendously. So if you have a particular thought on how to keep your focus, how to keep your chin up, how not to be swept away in panic, which is quite likely in a scenario like this, please share that because I'm sure there are people who could benefit. You can send a message on Telegram 0618951019. You can SMS 34519. You can tweet at FM. We would all like to hear what other people have to say and, and how are you keeping yourself sane in this very strange period of time. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So here's a thought, seeing as we're all so obsessed right now with the coronavirus and for good reason. Here's a thought. You know, later this year in August will be the 30th anniversary of the Gulf War, for those who remember it. And at the time that Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and then there was the threat of the Allied uh, response. And he said, well, in that case, he was going to attack Israel. And if you remember, people were absolutely panicked. I think it would be fair to say that that was the last time that Israel was as panicked as they appear to be now. And they were handing out gas masks and preparing for worst-case scenarios, and there was the threat of chemical attack. And I'll never forget at the time. I'll never forget how the Rebbe spoke about how you're supposed to respond in the face of that kind of panic. And he invoked this midrash, the midrash on the Yalkut Shemoni, that speaks about this this tension between different kingdoms and said that the Jewish people are going to be the ones running back and forth with absolute panic, saying, where should we go, where should we go, where should we go? And eventually, he says in the Midrash, that this is a precursor to Moshiach. And Moshiach will arrive and say, listen, everything that happened was only for your benefit. The time of your redemption has arrived. And it feels very similar. Now, you can obviously uh, argue this back and forth, because nobody can tell you with absolute certainty. But... For for a long time already, our spiritual leadership has been saying we are living in a messianic period. And they've pointed at various things that match up quite clearly with prophecy and with the predictions of our sages about the period before Moshiach comes. But here's something that is incredibly interesting to think about. If you read a lot of the predictions of what is supposed to happen before Moshiach comes, they seem to be disparate. But at the same time, they carry a particular theme. So they speak about economic collapse. That is one of the things that is predicted that will happen before Mashiach comes. The expression that the Talmud uses is, there will be no prutois." Pruta is the smallest coin left in people's pockets. So that indicates a tremendous economic collapse. There is talk about people on the borders Going from place to place and not being shown any compassion. That's one of the predictions of the time before Moshiach comes. One of the predictions is that there'll be a breakdown in the natural respect of society. So young people will demand respect of older people and they'll they'll let you get it. There's the concept of plenty product and the inability to sell the product. So Everything, suddenly prices are totally inflated. The Gomorrah did not speak about toilet paper. It actually spoke about grapes. (laughs) That there'll be plenty grapes, but the price of wine will be through the roof. And it talks about, very intriguing, it talks about how the malchus, which is the governmental leadership, will become minus, minus. Now it's difficult to define exactly what that is. There are various groupings of people that reject God in one way or another, or reject the validity of Torah. And min is a particular grouping that is considered to be very, you know, very objectionable. So to the point that a min is somebody who doesn't deserve to be allowed to live according to Jewish law. So commenting on all these things, which seem to be just like different unrelated predictions about the time of Mashiach or just before Mashiach comes, there's a commentary from the Maharal of Prague. The Maharal was a very famed Kabbalist who lived in the uh, 18th century in Prague and wrote this extensive commentary on various areas of Jewish literature, on the Talmud and on the Torah and so on and so forth. So he writes on this particular collection of predictions. He says, you have to understand what's going on over here. Why would these things be necessary? Why would we talk about such negative things just before Moshiach comes? I mean, it seems like you would expect that the messianic unfolding should be quite positive. In fact, the Jerusalem Talmud uses the expression, it would be like the dawn, you know, a little bit more light and a little bit more light and a little bit more light until eventually the world is illuminated. So why should there be so many negative predictions, collapse in society and mistreatment of people and, and so on and so forth? I mean, he even uses the expression, the Talmud uses the expression that one of the signs that you're living in the Messianic age is that they'll be looking for fish for sick people and they won't be able to find any. So it almost seems to imply, you know, like what w- the treatment that people will need might be unavailable. Fascinating to read, and especially in the, in the light of the, the various commentaries. But the Maharal's particular commentary says this. It says you have to know that a, there's a, a truism about life which says anytime there's going to be an exponential development, you first have to have some kind of a collapse. So let's take in the language of uh, the mystics we call it yesh ve yesh ve beemta. Yesh is one reality and yesh is a new reality, iron is a collapsed reality. So the example that's always used to illustrate this is a seed. So you look at a seed, a seed is an existing reality. It has dimensions, it has properties, it has mass. You then put the seed into the ground. Your intention is that the seed should then produce a plant which will have different properties and a different mass, and will serve a different purpose, different dimensions. So this tiny little seed, it's fascinating to imagine, but this tiny little seed will go through a process that will eventually develop, let's call it a massive oak tree. Obviously, when you look at the seed, it's impossible to see in that seed the tree that's going to come out of it. Or, In fact, on the contrary, if it's a fruit, let's say you have an apple seed, it's impossible to imagine that this hard, dark, um, unhealthy thing Is going to turn into this beautiful tree that's going to produce magnificent sweet fruits. So the only way that it can happen is the the seed that you put into the ground disintegrates. So it loses its original structure. And because it loses its original structure, that allows the opportunity for a brand new structure, which is exponentially better than what was originally there. So the seed was an existence that didn't really have much to offer to society, although it had a tremendous potential. And after it breaks down, suddenly there's this experience, the revelation of something which is massive and beautiful. You find a similar thing in human development. So there's a child, which is one reality. There's an adult, which is a totally different, mature reality that sees the world in a much more advanced way. And in in between, you have this collapsed reality called adolescence, where you're not quite sure who you are, and you're not quite sure who your role models are, and you're not quite sure who you believe. So there's some kind of a breakdown that happens between the one and the other. Likewise, the mystics tell us that for a soul to go from this earth to the experience of Gun Eden in paradise, it has to go through what is called a river of fire. And the purpose of that river of fire is to forget the perspective of living on earth. Because if you care about the things that they offer on earth, when you get to Gun Eden, you might be quite disappointed because the things that they offer there are completely different. So... You, you want to appreciate those things. That's similar to a child who may not appreciate the value, say, of investing on the stock market when they'd rather use that money to buy a chocolate. So there's always got to be a breakdown of the old limited structure in order to allow for the new magnificent structures. And the Maharal says that in the period before Moshiach, the, uh, the Talmud identifies all these various areas of society that will collapse, not because God is intent on the collapse of society, but rather because it's useful to break down the old in order to renovate and create the new. So when you look around at the world right now and you say, oh my gosh, it's literally looks like things are falling apart. It really does. Like, uh, old Chinua Achebe's book. It, it looks like things are collapsing. There is the possibility of a health infrastructure collapsing under the load of too many victims. There is the, the, the strain on the, on the stock market. There's the oil price. There's the whole travel industry. Things that we take for granted seem to be collapsing. So we could buy into the fear and say, oh my gosh, the world is about to end in an unexpected apocalyptic collapse. Or you could look and say... I'm responsible for 50% of this relationship. And the 50% I'm responsible for is, includes getting my head right. And getting my head right includes understanding that God is responsible for the other 50%, that he's running the world, and to believe that he has a good intention. And we can actually see in this, believe it or not, this could very well be, and we're supposed to believe that this is it. This is the unfolding of Mashiach, right there. There you have it. The world falling to pieces in order for a new world to emerge. And please God, we help, really hope that that's what it is. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, there's absolutely no question about it that our responsibility includes being pragmatic. If there are doctor's orders, you follow those doctor's orders. If there's a communication from the leadership of our community to say you behave in a particular way, that's how you behave. Equally, it is our responsibility to believe that Hashem is in control, Hashem is driving this and has invited us in to be part of the process as He always does. That's the lesson from the Rambam, why we fast when things are bad, because He invites us to have the opportunity to daven, to read extra tehillim, to reach out to other people and to be good to them. Somebody made a really good observation and that is Corona, as we know, comes from the word crown. And tefillin are considered a crown. So a great thing. This is not. This is not facile. This is not. This is what we should be doing. Get either yourself, if you don't do do so on a daily basis, or encourage other people to put on tefillin regularly, because we need to strengthen, so to speak, the spiritual crown that we wear in order to be able to um, overcome this corona. This crown that is not so positive. And of course we know that generally speaking there's a principle called which means that everything that exists in spiritual terms has an equal opposite pushback. So the crown represents Moshiach who is this great king position. Somebody who's going to take the whole world to a totally different experience of what life is all about. And what you find is there's this corona. You've got this bacteria, well it's not a bacteria, this virus that's working through the world right now in a, in a destructive way that is also associated with a crown. So there's quite a lot that we should be thinking about. I think it's a conversation that should be live all the time. We do know it's a dynamic situation. We do know that the protocols might change from today till tomorrow. We do know that we have to follow what those protocols are. At the same time, rather than having a conversation, did you hear, did you hear, I believe that this place and fear-mongering and the things that we tend to do by nature, we should be having conversations about what does it mean, how can we... Bolster our faith in God How can we see a Mashiach process Happening in this How can we reach out to people Rather than living in our self-imposed Imagined quarantines That we've been doing already for many years A lot of it thanks to social media and the fact that we cut ourselves off from people or just simply because we live in our cliques, which are a a form of quarantine. How do we step out of there and touch the next person, bring goodness to the next person, and please, God, through that, bring healing to the world. And as the Talmud says, healing and redemption, Geula, Moshiach, are just side by side in the Amidah to teach you that they're both very strongly related. Healing brings Moshiach. Please, God, that should happen for us. Have a wonderful Shabbos.